My name is Sarah, and I'm here with Logan Krober of the Dodos. The Dodos will be playing tonight at King's Barcade, downtown Raleigh, with Dustin Wong in first person plural. And you guys are on a super long tour right now. You've got a couple more dates in the U.S. after you hit up Raleigh tonight. Then you're going to go over to Europe and tour pretty much through the end of the year. You're telling me. And uh, this is all in support of Carrier, which was released August 27th of this year, so a little over a month ago, off of Polyvinyl Record Company. This is y'all's fifth studio album, and you put out the first single earlier this year, late spring, I believe, and it's it's gotten some great reviews. It's a bit different pace from the prior album, so I'd love for you to talk a little more about the process. Uh, the process, well, I mean, it was a big change-up for us just going to a new studio, period. You know, uh, we recorded most of our records up in Portland with Joan Askew, and uh, we did... One was still like, but we never went back and did another. And so it's always like a big change when you like go to new studio, new engineer. And I started playing like a more traditional full drum kit. And Merrick was doing more electric guitar. So a lot of a lot of changes happened at once. And like Carrier is the result of that. But we're pretty stoked on on what we achieved, and we've already started working on another one at the same studio with the same engineer. That's great to hear. Even though all the songs are, are still like fairly new to your audience, it'll be good to hear some new ones tonight. Oh, yeah. We're playing tons of new stuff. Were you saying you have a bass drum now? Yeah, that is true. For all of you listening that aren't familiar with the Dodo's setup, Logan has traditionally had a drum kit without a bass drum. Play a lot on the rims versus the actual drum head. And then you have, do you still have the tambourine taped to your shoe? I still have the tambourine that could be taped to my shoe, but I do not wear it during performance. Why the change up there? Uh, because of the introduction of a, of a hi-hat. You know, I'm actually using a hi-hat on a, on a few songs, and it's just too much to be trying to play a hi-hat with a tambourine duct tape to my shoe. So I just got one of those tambourines that, that attaches to the top of the spindle on the hi-hat. And, you know, I know, I know it had a certain look to it, that a lot of people have been missing, but you should feel happy for me that I'm not trapped with a tambourine on the bottom of my shoe. We definitely don't want you to feel trapped during a show. Your your show's uh, live performances are incredibly energetic. Uh, I caught you guys at Hopscotch. Oh, that was, yeah, that was great. That was so fun. You guys opened for um, Guided by Voices and Drive by Truckers at Hopscotch in 2011. I was actually uh, front and center for that show. Got a really good spot and. Me and all my friends had a great time. Tons and tons of contagious energy. Yeah, I remember that super fondly. I'd love to come back for Hopscotch again. We would definitely love to see you again. It's going to be interesting to see you in an inside setting. Uh, I'm definitely very affected as an audience member by the shape of the room. And seeing an outside performance versus a small inside club is going to be a fun transition for me. What's that like for you? Um, it depends. I love playing outside just because I, don't, I love letting my eye wander while I play and seeing, you know, just like flocks of birds in the distance or, you know, swaying trees if it's in the park. And in the club, you know, you don't have that sort of scenery. But if the audience is, you know, energetic, that energy can be focused a little bit more intensely than in a festival because there's less distractions. So if the crowd is good and into what you're doing like you know that can be very satisfying too do you have any pre-show rituals to get you super amped uh 
yeah, we've been, uh, you know, I'm I'm slightly ashamed to admit it, but we've been hacky sacked before we hit the stage. Why are you ashamed to admit that? Because it's an acquired <laughs> skill. It's totally an acquired skill. It is an acquired skill, but you know, more than any other like communal sports-like activity, if you were to green screen out the hacky sack and it was just people playing hacky sack without a sack, they would be making the worst, like like most unflattering movements known to man. Or have super sweet dance moves. It would kind of be like um, the blow-up long-arm flailing guys in front of used car dealerships. Yeah, but with your legs. <laughs> Also, and, and, and oh god, so it's an inherently shameful act, but it is really addictive now that we've started to get good, and it's a perfect warm up for the show. Awesome. And going back to the new album, you touched on this already, but there there's a big switch to electric guitar versus acoustic, and then again, your drum kit has that affected your live show at all with that switch? Well, I mean, we, we play. We play some songs where Merrick busts out the acoustic, you know, for like three songs a night. So it's, it's all mixed up. Just the focus is on the new material. And it's a bit louder, I think. It's a little more intense, like just because of the songs we're playing and, and you know, it's just all electric guitars. But, you know, we've, we've got the, the set list paced out. So there's, there's some old stuff in there and there's some like dynamic changes. So it, it feels like, at times, to me, it feels like a a new approach for us. But, you know, we're still dipping into old material here and there. And it feels pretty consistent to me. But, yeah, somebody, somebody who hasn't seen us in a while might be surprised at the sound coming off stage. And how do you design your set list? Um, well, right now it's all about songs that our new third member, Joe, knows how to play. So we've, we've got a limited set of songs if just trying to figure out the best flow for them. And then, uh, you know, if we get more than one encore, it just has to be Merrick and myself going out there and playing some old stuff that we can do just as a duo. And what is uh, Joe playing during the shows? He plays guitar, baritone guitar, and he sings a lot, singing a lot of harmonies. And he plays sampler on a few songs, but, you know, more than that, he dances, like, I'd say that's, like, the primary role he's filling right now. Awesome. Inspired by hacky sack moves? Yeah, dude, he's got the best hacky sack moves, and it translates to the stage really well. Um, do your set list change from date to date? Oh, no, no, no. We, we found, like, we found, we found the one, and we're sticking with it for now. Awesome. So the last album you released was No Color. That was two years ago in March, and you got to work with Nico Case on that. If you could describe how that partnership came about and how working with her affected your songwriting process or uh, how her her vocals affected how you saw your music as a whole. We we met Nico through touring with the New Pornographers in the summer of 2010 and uh, just sort of came up at the end of the tour that we were recording an album. You know, Merritt got the guts to ask her if she might want to swing through Portland put down some vocals, and she, she said yes, and I mean, we, the songs were pretty much done by the time she came through, but they definitely improved sonically after she made her contribution. It, it, was, it was a whirlwind, 
she came through and like just dropped our jaws and then left and then she got a tattoo. What was her tattoo? She got a big one that was up and down her forearms that says like scorned of the earth, beloved of the sky. And mm-hmm. I, I think I think it's the name of a painting that she really likes that has a lot of personal meaning for her. It's a pretty badass tattoo. That's awesome. Are you guys currently working with any other collaborations? No. You know, we've had a few people come into the studio for the new record that we're working on and and put, you know, some horns here or some vocals there, but it it was more like single songs, less of like a an overarching collaboration like it was with Nico. I don't know, it it would be it would be cool to collaborate with people in a in a more intense way like that again. But Eric and I have been having mm-hmm. a lot of fun just writing songs and messing around at the studio ourselves. So I don't, I don't feel like we need it, but I wouldn't turn it down if the right person asked us. There's a lot of talented people out there, and even just like bands we've toured with. I don't know. It might be, it might be in our best interest to maybe make a few phone calls now that you mention it. <laughs> um, if you could work with anyone, who would it be? I'm going to say Prince, for sure. Prince. So Prince, if you're listening right now, give Logan a call. Yeah, yeah, hit me up. It's more, it's more than I want. I mean, it would be awesome if Prince could like sing or play a guitar solo on one of our records, but I would more want him to like produce like our stage show because he would like kick our ass. That would be pretty incredible. I want to talk about you and Merrick's background. You have a big background with metal bands and prog bands, and Merrick has training in West African oud drumming and blues finger picking. So if you could talk a little bit about your personal history with that and how you bring it into your songwriting process and working with somebody else. You know, the common ground between all of those things is a, is, is a rhythmic complexity. A lot of metal is trying to be pretty progressive and forge new ground for, you know, making stuff harder to play and whatever. And I, I would say that that same thing applies to the African drumming that Merrick studies. It's just inherently to a Western ear is rhythmically complex. And so those things actually overlap pretty easily for us. Same thing with this finger picking. It's really rhythmically, uh, like, syncopated. And so, yeah, that that's the... That's the key right there. Yeah, I, I think the intricacy and almost like um, on the last album, like a delicate factor with his finger picking balanced with the way you play drums. I think it turns out really, really well and complements each other in a very unique way. Well, we try very hard to achieve that, so glad you noticed. What is your favorite song to play live? Uh, favorite song to play live right now is probably Transformer, which is the first track off the new record. And why is that one your favorite? Uh, just because it has, like, a very, it's, it's got, like, a lot of shifts in, in tempo. You know, it's got, like, all these different parts that started off, like, really stitched together when we were, like, sort of arranging it in the studio, and it felt really awkward. But now it feels really natural, and I feel like it flows really well, and everybody's playing throughout, and there's no, like, looping with it. It's one of those things where everybody has to do their job. Everybody has to be on time. And it's, it's, you'll see. (laughs) Cool. I'm excited for it. And what's the most challenging song to play live? Most challenging song to play live, for me, it's this one called Stranger. That's actually one of my favorites off the new album. Oh, great. Yeah, like, 
just just know that I'm working very hard <laughs> to make that song work on stage. It's just because I have to I have to play along to a loop on stage that is it's hard it's hard to play along to the beat I'm doing, even though it's very simple, like it's very rigid in this way where it's like you can't get off, otherwise you'll get lost. And are you are you looping yourself on this, or is that a different instrument that you're referring to? No, no, Merrick will start off the song looping his own guitar and then playing over it, and I play to the loop. Okay. But it's like, when, when that song is on, it's really fun. But, uh, you know, if the levels are off, it's like it's a struggle for me. Right. But I'm stoked you dig that song, because it's, it's a pretty epic tune, and, and I want it to come across that way when we uh, do it live. Right. And it, it is a overall significantly more emotive album than the past one. Your former guitarist, Christopher Reimer, of the Canadian art rock band Women, passed away and inspired the majority of this album. Can you talk about his overall influence on you and Merrick and how his overall presence affected your instrumentation? Well, when he was traveling with us, like he was one of those guys who was always like playing guitar backstage before the show looking for new pedals when we were in different towns, uh, always working on stuff. I think I think he, like, inspired both Barrick and myself to, like, to be pursuing guitar, like, all the time. Barrick was already doing that, obviously, since he's a guitar player, but you know, with him around, it was always easy to, like, jam on something backstage or just learn a new song sitting around in a hotel room. And... You know, I want to say that we tried to tried to imitate what we thought he would do if he was playing songs, but it, it's like more deeper than I, I wish I wish I could know what he would have brought to the table on these songs, but it's that it sort of got mutated. You know, it, in Barrick's creative brain, you know, he started coming up with these guitar songs that were different and intricate and not necessarily something that Chris would have done himself, but I think he would have been super stoked, super stoked on what Merrick was coming up with. And uh, on a personal level, yeah, there's things every day that remind me of him. There's little phrases that he said or or the way that he would say things that I've totally, like, imitated and picked up. And it's all good. You know, there's no, there's no negative thing going to pop up in my mind strictly on the positive. That's good. Yeah, and, you know, like I said, I, I know that's not an easy thing to deal with, and the lyricism on the new album, I think, reflects that and the journey you guys have gone through to process everything. Oh, yeah, for sure, for sure. Merrick had, Merrick had written a lot of lyrics uh, for this record kind of before he wrote the music, which is pretty pretty rare for him, or, you know, at least it was. So I, th- I think he had a lot of stuff he wanted to communicate even before the music was there to help him do it. Once lyrics are written or once the music's written and you're trying to put it together with the other, how much of a revision usually goes in? Uh, it depends. You know, like I was saying with Transformer, like we put that through the ringer and other songs were, you know, pretty much done. Uh, by the time we got to the studio, maybe Merrick made a few tweaks to his lyrics here and there. But yeah, some of them, some of them are monsters and some of them aren't. What's in your CD player right now? What are you guys listening to? Uh, well, today we were listening, since we're, you know, headed into town, we were listening to all sort of North Carolina bands. 
Awesome. Best answer ever. We, uh, we started in Washington today, so we were listening to Fugazi and Q and Not You uh, and, uh, you know, Washington, D.C. bands, but then it transitioned into Mountain Goats and, you know, stuff like that. Yeah. So we've been keeping it regional. That's awesome. Is that a typical thing for when you tour? Uh, no, actually. I, when we were in New York City, the subject of Ian McKay came up in the hotel, and I was telling our sound guy that I hadn't listened to Fugazi in a long time, and I really wanted to, and he's got, like, all their records on his computer. And so uh, then it just so happened that we found ourselves in Washington, D.C. It seems fitting to start it off. Dude, that's awesome. I think that's a really uh, cool approach to the dates you guys are hitting. At, I looked at the tour schedule. The majority of them have a very, very prominent local music scene. And I'm obviously biased with the triangle, but I'm sure that that's a great experience and adds more to how you feel coming into a town if you're familiar with the music that uh, the locals are. Uh, yeah, man. I, I I like knowing bands by by their like hometown. I like if I'm gonna know something about a band, even though it doesn't really like matter about you know how their music sounds or it doesn't make a difference really. It's cool for me to know where they came from. That's just a human thing, I guess. You know. It's not really- Oh, for sure. And uh, you guys are out of San Francisco. That's right. Has, has that impacted you at all, uh, the local scene there? Yeah, I mean, totally starting out. I mean, now that we're touring the way that we do now, we play so many fewer, like, hometown shows. So I feel like, you know, we're not as involved with local bands, like up-and-coming local bands as we used to be. Because, you know, we used to play two or three shows a month around town. Uh, and you meet all these bands, but now those bands that we've met have all blown up and are touring around the world, like, you know, Fresh and Oldies and VOCs, people like that, you know. They're all off on their own trip as well. When you do go back to San Francisco, is it a big homecoming, or does it feel like other venues uh, throughout the West Coast? I mean, I guess it does feel like a homecoming, but I don't particularly like that feeling. Why? Just because, like, all, like, everybody's, everybody's at the show, you know. I just want to go home and see my girlfriend. And, you know, there's all these people around who I love and I want to see. But I feel like I've got to spend time with all of them. I haven't seen them in three months. And everything's all crazy. And you got to play a show. There's not a lot of quality time to be found backstage. So it just feels like, like you're the host of a party can't hang out with anybody. That makes sense. Yeah, you know, that's just me complaining. I'm sure it's going to be a good old time, but whenever I get back to San Francisco, I kind of just want to go back to my house. Do you have a favorite place you've played? Ever in the world. Ever in the entire world. A very memorable venue or a crowd? Oh, man. I mean, just a different day, you'll get a different answer out of me. Right now, I guess I'm feeling like I haven't been to the southern hemisphere in a while and uh, I would say that Camp Aloha in New Zealand was one of my favorite places to play or just be and see music it was like a festival down there and it is awesome and I hope to go back someday what made it stand out? it's just run by musicians it's not really trying to catch a huge profit you know there's no corporate sponsorship it's just done by people. It's 
it's like basically a really well organized warehouse show. You know, it's that kind of attitude. Like, take it to the tenth tower, and you know, in this particular installment, they took over a, an old summer camp that had like barracks and a gymnasium and an empty swimming pool where bands played in it. But beach and yeah, it just it rules. That sounds amazing. And once again, the Dodos are playing tonight at King's Barcade in Raleigh with Dustin Wong in first person plural. Doors are at 8, show starts at 8.30. For more information about tickets, you can visit kingsbarcade.com. Please come out to the show. We have such a deep love for the Triangle Zone. And uh, yeah, bring us back to Hopscotch. Logan, thank you again for speaking with me, and we'll see you tonight. Well, it has been a pleasure, Sarah.